The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra. My passion, calling, and job is really all about blending together holistic practices with real evidence-based science to help people around the world cultivate more optimism, success, and resiliency. You won't want to miss this new podcast as you'll get to hear from elite athletes, recording artists, couples, and maybe even my toddler. So if you're into arming yourself with some new practical happiness tools, join me on Mondays for your morning optimism dose. Oh, and don't forget, things are looking up. Hi everyone, I'm Haley Hubbard, mom to three kids and wife to a touring artist. And I'm Jessica Diamond, a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in public health. And this is Meaningful Living. Every week we're breaking down the overwhelming amount of parenting, nutrition, and lifestyle information into credible knowledge and simple tools. The Cliff Notes Guide to Feeling Confident in Your Everyday Choices. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. Hi, I'm Haley Hubbard. And I'm Jess Diamond. And welcome back to Meaningful Living Podcast. We had so much positive feedback from our Ditching Diet Culture episode that we wanted to come back and do part two. We all want to be more conscious about how we talk about food and our bodies in front of our kids and break the cycle of negative self-talk and diet culture for our own families. But what do you do when someone in your kid's life, a caregiver, a family member, or friend says or does something in front of your kid that's the opposite of how you want to parent? Do you say something? Do you risk offending them? What do we do? This is such a delicate situation and confrontation. I know for us is always hard, especially when people we love who mean so well. So today we're talking to Una Hansen. She's a parent coach with 20 years of experience in helping parents and caregivers raise kids who have a healthy relationship with food and their body. She's here to share the practical strategies on when and how to navigate these sensitive conversations what to say when someone believes your child needs to finish their plate before they get to dessert, and what to do when someone makes a comment about their body in front of your kids. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. Your reviews help us so much to make sure our podcast shows up in the parenting section and to help spread the word. Please also leave comments letting us know what topics you want covered. We want to hear from you. Now here's Una. Una, we're so excited to be talking to you today. We have so many questions, so thank you for being here. Happy to be here. I'm looking forward to this chat. We've been following you for a while now, and I just love the practical content you give out. We try to be so practical here, so I'm really excited for this conversation today. We actually just saw you on an IG Live with a fellow dietitian, Nicole Cruz, and right when I saw that, I was like, we have to get you on the podcast. So we actually just did a podcast on ditching diet culture. So we talked about what diet culture is, our experience with it, really how it's shaped, how we've talked about food in our bodies, in our own homes, and how we can do it differently for our kids so we can build better self-esteem and just a better relationship with food than we had growing up. And the episode, we had so many people reach out. It was such a hot topic. And I think a lot of people related to it. And the follow-up question we got over and over was, how do we talk to others about it? Whether it's our family members, caregivers, teachers, friends, anyone, spouses who parent differently than us, how do we, and have different philosophies maybe, like how do we approach those conversations? Those conversations can be really uncomfortable. We don't know when we should bring them up, how we should bring them up. So that's what we want to dig into today. It's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited because I think, you know, there, I don't have a like a one size fits all script that will work for every situation, but I'm looking forward to kind of unpacking like just some 
suggested approaches that you might try with different people. And there's no perfection in this, just like you said, with body image or ditching diet culture, there's no one right way to do this. But I think we all need support in this area because it's we've been swimming in this culture for so long. And when you start swimming upstream, you're going to have people that are wondering, why, why are you going that direction? And so, yeah, we need the tools to kind of navigate that. Gosh, I'm so excited. I already have so many questions. Let's kind of start from the beginning. So for those that didn't listen to that episode, can you just start by quickly giving us some information on what diet culture is and why we should be doing it differently for our kids? Right. So diet culture is a system of beliefs that says thin is best, privileges thin bodies. It puts food on a hierarchy, right? So there are sort of superfoods that are elevated, Then there are other foods that are demonized and the rules about where those foods fit on the hierarchy, it changes all the time. So, you know, I'm Gen X. So in my era, it was fat. So Snackwell's cookies were the, like the poster child of diet culture in the eighties. Right. And it changes, you know, every couple of years, there's a new kind of boogeyman in diet culture. The other really harmful aspect of diet culture is that now it's been really intertwined with health and wellness. So maybe when I was growing up, it was just about appearance. Now it's getting tied up in, you know, your cardiovascular health or your mental health. So I think it can be really confusing to people to know, is this, am I really taking care of myself or am I buying into a set of beliefs that maybe isn't really in my best interest? I mean, that's such a, that's such a great point because I think we we can identify when diet culture is the obvious, and I think it's it's so intertwined in our culture that it's sometimes really hard to even identify when it's happening. Sometimes right. we don't even know when we're making comments that are feeding into it. Oh, I'm sure I do it all the time. Don't even know it. It's just kind of what we've all been taught, and and so I definitely want to shift that narrative for my kids. I grew up. I had a mild eating disorder when I was a teenager and you know I I got all those comments cuz my parents were in the generation of like what diet are we on this week and exercise we lived in a, a mountain town so it was like exercise all the time but it wasn't exercise to feel good it was always like exercise to lose a few pounds and but it was just cuz you know they didn't know either and and so I just kind of want to talk big picture here we all have family members or friends or caregivers um, or even spouses that may not be aware of their relationship with food and their body, and also parent differently and say different things in front of their kids that's opposite, or our kids, that's opposite of what we're trying to teach. So where do we start these conversations? Personally, we struggle with like, when do we say something? When do we not say something? Like, Sometimes I feel like when I notice it, when other people say it, I kind of laugh awkwardly because I'm like, oh... I wouldn't have said that, but I'm sure again, I say things all the time. <laughs> like, at what point do we set a boundary or say something or not say something? It's a great question. And I think so much depends on the context and your relationship with the person. Um, is this someone you're really close to? Do you want to spend a lot of time with them, with your kids? Or is this just sort of an acquaintance who made maybe a fat phobic comment when you ran into them at the grocery store and said, oh, you look so great. Have you lost weight? Kind of one of those very common comments that people think is you know, a helpful compliment when in fact um, it can be really damaging in a lot of ways. So if it's someone you're close to, I think it's worth a private conversation and say, you know, I'm really working on you know, healing my relationship with food and my body, or I'm really helping my kids to you know, hold on to their intuitive eating or in a healthy relationship with food. So you know, I'd rather you not talk about your diet or your fitness routine uh, with me. 
I love spending time with you. Let's talk about something else when we're together. And so really focusing on your connection with that friend or family member and just setting the boundary. You're not saying that they can't go on a diet or they can't go to their favorite exercise class. You're just asking them to respect what you're working on and you're really enlisting their help. And you know, our friends who care about us and our family members, they want to help us. So when we leverage it as it's not that we're saying that they're doing it wrong, we're asking for them for their help um, in something that we're working on in our family. Yeah, I like that you said something that I'm working on because I mean, that is the truth. I I listen to my own self-talk and we've talked about this, but you know, my self-talk is like, okay, I just had my third baby back to back. And if I'm being honest, I'm like talking to my husband about, okay, I've got five more pounds. I've got whatever, however many more pounds. And we kind of are trying not to say that around our kids. And we're very conscious about that, but I'm still saying it, you know? And so it's, we are working on it. We're trying to not even say that ourselves because I just need to be happy where I'm at. But but yeah, I like that that approach. It's really good. Then a follow-up question to that then is when someone says something about our kids, maybe they might make a comment to our kids. Like a lot of it happens when they're really young. Like, oh, you know, like, like they're getting so much breast milk. Look how chunky they are. Like it's so cute. And as they get older, I mean, I have a three-year-old now. And so he sometimes is getting comments about it, but I can just imagine as he gets older that those comments kind of might stick on them a little more. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods, which is the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. They have everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food. Basically, Public Goods is your new everything store thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. We can't say enough good about Public Goods. Let's start with the packaging because it is next level. And if you're like us, we need some gorgeous products to balance out the toys laying around our home. The only way to describe all of their products is that they look clean and calming. There's no bright colors and the packaging looks chic and can transform any room to make it look so much more organized and put together. And their products are so amazing. Every product is ethically sourced and they develop each of them to be free from unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives. It's frightening to think about, but it's so important that we start to use everyday products such as paper towels and toilet paper that are free from harmful chemicals for both us and our kids because they're some of the products we use most on our bodies and in our food. In the simplest of terms, they're products that are good for you, good for the environment, and are all affordable. It may sound silly, but we're absolutely hooked on their dental floss. We didn't know we were in the market for new dental floss until we tried theirs. It comes in a reusable glass jar, so you just need to order the refills. And the dental floss is so good. You have to try it. It's so little and cute. I keep it in my purse everywhere I go. We've worked on an awesome deal just for our listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They're so confident that you'll absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they're giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You've got nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash living or use code living at checkout. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash living to receive $15 off your first order. So if someone says something directly to your kid about their body image, do you say something in the moment? How do you navigate that? Yeah, again, it depends on the context. I think if it's something that's really, really important to you, it's worth addressing in the moment. And if it feels right to you, I think humor and kind of deflection can be sort of a a smoother way to go about it. So, you know, you could sort of ignore the comment and say, 
And can you, can you believe how high he can jump now? Or, you know, for older kids, um, yeah, did I tell you they just finished, you know, reading their first chapter book um, and just kind of changing the subject. And I think people sort of pick up on that, that you're not going to engage in body comments. Um, if you want to be more direct, you can say things like, you know, we're teaching our kids that, it, you know, the way your body looks is the least interesting thing about you. I agree. He's adorable or she's adorable. And we're just not going to make comments about bodies in front of them. And if you have questions about that, let's talk about it later. So you're kind of, you know, you're showing how to set boundaries for your kids as well. And you're not walking on eggshells, right? You're just calling it out. Right. Because you kind of wonder at what age they start absorbing that. Because I mean, we all love a chunky baby. I'm just going to say it. And we talk about like, oh, they're just so cute and like squishy. And I'm probably saying all the wrong words right now. But I feel like, you know, we had one, we've got friends that that have them and and it's just like, they're so scrumptious. And and so at what point do we stop talking about that or do we just not at all? You know, I think it's a great observation because we do value chunkiness or chubbiness or eating a lot when they're tiny. And then there's, there comes a point where suddenly our culture says it's not okay. Um, so it's kind of a reminder that we have this very kind of like slippery set of rules for, for people. I would say, you know, the other thing to keep in mind for those listening who maybe have a baby that's not eating as, as easily, if you have a baby that's been designated, you know, failure to thrive, which is like not the words you ever want to hear about your child. There's also all that body talk about babies can be very harmful to those people. So because they feel like that's the kind of baby that's valued and seen as healthy. So it's kind of another just reminder that the things we take as like default comments that we think are going to be okay for everyone could actually be kind of painful for some other people. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say that preschoolers, we know from research, preschoolers already have anti-fat bias. So we're talking three-year-olds have already picked up, whether it's from Peppa Pig or you know, any other, just from conversations in the world, children's media is just rife with fat phobia um, and harmful body comments and stereotypes. So we, it's really, really, you can't start too early in terms of kind of redirecting the conversation to a place that fits more with your values. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that it, it touches them so early, I think just shows, it's just so important for us to change the language in our house. And the question that we're getting a lot and the question that I have myself is there's a lot of people that have parents, grandparents, friends that become kind of second parents, right? They're around your kid a lot. And in our house, we try to focus on making food and body image so neutral, but how much exposure is enough exposure where we actually have to have those conversations? Because I think, you know, Haley and I kind of talk about it sometimes. It's like sometimes we just get awkward and we laugh it off. And if it's just at a birthday party or here or there, like that totally works. But what about when our own parents are taking care of our kids and they've raised amazing kids that, you know, they've raised us, but we're doing it differently now? How do you approach that? And what exposure is too much exposure that you do have to have those conversations? You know, I have so much empathy for grandparents, right? They've lived in diet culture longer than we have. Um, they've been through all the iterations of the different diets and different beliefs about food. And now that the health and wellness layer has been added, um, they feel like it's an act of love to comment on food and bodies. So really having a lot of empathy for the grandparents. 
you know, I, I don't know that there's sort of like a threshold at which your child is now kind of getting more messages from grandma and grandpa or another caregiver. I think you really have to just observe your child and stay attuned to them. And I think as they get older, you can have conversations privately with your child and say, you know, you know, I noticed that grandma and grandpa talk about food a little differently. Have you noticed that too? Or if they say something like, oh, but I already had a treat today. I can't have X or something like that. You can just say, oh, really? Tell me more about that. And then you can have that conversation like, oh, you know, grandma and grandpa have different rules. Different households have different rules about things. But that's something I'm going to talk to them about and make sure we're all on the same page. So I think kids are really savvy about knowing different rules happen in different homes. When they go teacher to teacher, you know, when they're going through school, they kind of learn that. So they're pretty savvy and they know what your values are. Even if you have full-time childcare, you're still their parents. And what you do on the regular, you know, on a regular basis is going to be the, the foundation for them. But just stay, you know, keep an eye. If you notice your your toddler is starting to, you know, ask you questions about, you know, is this too sugary for me? Or um, am I getting, you know, is my tummy too big? Then you know it's definitely worth um, a longer conversation with your child and with whoever's spending time with them. At what point? Do we have those conversations with our kids? I mean, is it when they're a teenager? Because obviously at some point they're going to learn about sugar and how sugar isn't great for us and, and the amount of sugar that's in, in something. Like, when does that phase happen? Yeah, you know, I take, I've come, you know, kind of 180 degrees. I was very much um, in, you know, I wanted my kids to have obviously a variety of foods. I didn't want to put foods on a pedestal. But I think, the messages that kids are getting about what healthy eating is really tends to backfire. So, you know, sugar is definitely, that's the boogeyman today, right? Fat was the boogeyman when I was a kid. Sugar and just sort of refined carbs in general are kind of the boogeyman today. And, you know, just like the, the saying, the forbidden fruit tastes the sweetest, right? If we say sugar is sort of naughty or dangerous for a lot of kids, that makes that sugary thing glitter all the more, right? And they want it even more. And then you can have kind of binging or secretive eating, or maybe they want to spend a lot of time at someone's house who has more of those foods around. For some kids, however, it can go into a more of an anxiety, restrictive, orthorexia or anorexia pathway. And, you know, in working with families with kids who have eating disorders, you know, we're seeing kids six, seven, eight, nine years old developing food phobias and eating disorders from a very well-meaning, you know, school lesson or conversations that are happening um, where there seem to be like these hard and fast food rules that for black and white thinkers, for our concrete thinkers, our little kids, it can really go kind of sideways. Let's take a moment to talk about Hyatt Children's Vitamins. One of the most common questions we get is which multivitamin do you recommend for kids to ensure they're getting all the nutrients they need? That used to be such a hard question to answer because most of children's vitamins on the market were filled with unhealthy chemicals, a ton of sugar, think two teaspoons of sugar in a vitamin, and other fillers that aren't helping our kids' health. That was until we found Haya, and we're so excited they're sponsoring the show. We always want to help our kids eat the rainbow and have as much of a varied diet as possible, but it's nice to have a multivitamin to ensure they're getting the nutrients they consistently need. Haya is a pediatrician-approved vitamin that was created by two dads who were frustrated by the fact that there were vitamins on the market for kids that were causing more problems than they solve. Haya are chewable, which is key because that means they're gelatin-free and not filled with any gummy fillers. 
They're also non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, nut-free, and made with zero sugar, which matters to us because we only want to be giving our kids vitamins with the highest quality ingredients in bioavailable form so it actually works. And they come straight to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out an exclusive offer with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Meaningful Living listeners receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to Haya.com slash living and enter code living at checkout. That's H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash living and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Full discount applied at checkout. In my house, this might blow someone's mind at listening. I feel really strongly that there's no such thing as a healthy or unhealthy food. So I'm, and I'm not talking, if you have an allergy or celiac or something is rotten, you know, those are unhealthy for those people. But in general, we teach my, you know, my family and what I help other parents do is think about a healthy relationship with food. So not even calling things healthy or unhealthy because it becomes code for good and bad, right? And kids can feel like I'm good or bad um, based on what I eat. Um, so even aside from the physical you know, relationship or the physical experience of eating, that emotional relationship with eating can get really disrupted if the food has kind of a moral value um, and then you layer on the health value and, you know, food, you know, we want to nourish our kids in a kind of holistic way, right? So that's, that was kind of a side answer to your question. No, but, I love uh, this. It's yeah, great. that's, that's my approach with, with that topic of healthy foods. Yeah. And we talk so much about, we're big proponents about putting dessert with with Jenna and completely taking it off the pedestal, giving your kids opportunities for, you know, a confined amount of dessert. So one serving of dessert with dinner and then other times for kind of unrestricted eating, like you're making cookies and you can allow your kid to explore that. And so typically a lot of parents are like, what are you talking about? Like, we're supposed to be the ones that say no sugar until this, or when you finish your broccoli, then you can have dessert. But then we're doing exactly what you just said, which is putting it on a pedestal and making it the forbidden fruit. And so what we really want to do is normalize it. So Una, I love that approach so much. I love that. So, so we shouldn't be saying, we should kind of stop saying, this food is so healthy for you. This food is not healthy for you. What are some things that we should discontinue saying? And what are some more things that we should be saying? Yeah. And I, I you know, parents get so many shoulds right now. So <laughs> I, I just want to send everyone so much compassion because the food culture around feeding kids has gotten so complicated. We feel like we're, there's like a landmine in every corner, Right. So I just want to like, everyone can take a deep breath and know that, you know, you're doing probably better than you think you are. And we also can make change, right? As we, as you know, better, you do better. You know, I learned a lot of this the hard way. I had a child develop an eating disorder and that's what really, you know, opened my eyes to, you know, what, how this well-meaning language around food can, can really end up being very unhealthy. Right. So, you know, I bring that personal experience, but I think my sort of the extreme experience that we had in our family really taught me, you know, the things that could help all families. Not every kid is going to develop an eating disorder, thank goodness. Right. But eating disorders are exploding right now. So we really have to take a step back and figure out, okay, what can we do to try to lower the risk for our kids? And we want them to just have a joyful, you know, healthy relationship with food their whole lives. Right. So, yeah, I, I call food what it is. So, you know, 
It's not, I don't even, I try to avoid words like treat and even definitely I don't use the word junk food. You know, a lot of foods get labeled as toxic in our culture, but you think about for a little kid, right? Hearing that sugar is toxic or sugar is addictive, um, all these messages they're getting, it's really scary for them. So I, I suggest that parents call food what it is. In other words, bread is just bread. It's not a carb, right? You know, kale is just kale. It's not a dark leafy green, right? So just giving them the vocabulary word that actually describes the food rather than layering on like a category or a judgment. And I try to really focus on variety with kids. So I think one thing kids get a lot of is that word balance. We want to have a balanced plate. And that sounds pretty neutral, right? But the problem is for kids, balance can start to feel like a math equation, right? Like, oh, I have to balance out the, the brownie with some broccoli. Or I have to have this perfectly, you know, my plate balanced plate every time and it can become really rigid. So instead, I like to use the word variety, right? Because that, that just means we're not going to eat the same thing for every meal every day. And variety will give you balance overall. So you don't have to kind of talk about it in terms of balance. And then I, yeah, I would just steer away from healthy or unhealthy foods. I don't even like saying, you know, sometimes foods are always foods because they're all sort of code for good and bad, <laughs> or they're on a, the red light, yellow light, green light foods that were used in, you know, that horrible Kerbo weight loss app for kids. Um, what? Yeah, n- none of that, you know, it all, it all just goes sideways. Um, it doesn't really help kids have a healthy relationship with food. Totally. Oh. And our, our saying over here at Meaningful Living is always, you can have as much or as little as you want, putting ramekins out to, so that you know what is served at the meal. And they can eat in any order they want and as much as they want. And, you know, just really leaving that control to them. It's your job as parents to make the meal and really just their job to eat. So that is such a good reminder. Let's pause to talk about Artifact Uprising. We're such big fans and have used Artifact Uprising for our baby books, photos, and to display cute photos and recipes for meaningful living in our press boxes. When they reached out to sponsor the show, Jess and I couldn't say yes fast enough. They just launched their early years book, The Story of You, to help you document your child's best moments from ages one to five. It's the same company we use for our kids' baby books, and now they have a book designed to document your kids from one to five. We're obsessed with this book because they make it so you can easily document, yes, easily, your kid's life in the cutest, most Pinterest way, even for those that don't have any DIY in them. The book's divided into chapters, one for each of the years one to five. And each chapter has a set of prompts or exercises that you can fill out and add favorite pictures and artwork to, along with some blank pages that you can fully customize. The interactive prompts are so cute, and Liv and I have been loving doing it together. There's a section for you to trace your little one's hand in this section called A Letter to You, where each year you can write your child a letter. It's so sweet and feels so good to be able to document all these special moments in a special book each of our kids will have forever. It's linen-bound and looks gorgeous and comes with all the necessary supplies, including a free set of photo prints. You know we love simple and foolproof, and that's what this book is. They make it fun and easy to document your little one's life. It also comes in multiple colors, so you can pick the book that will match your home perfectly. It's the best gift to buy yourself or purchase for a parent that you know so that they can document their kids from ages one to five, because we all know the time just flies. For a limited time, our listeners can get 15% off your Artifact Uprising order with the code MEANINGFUL15. Go to artifactuprising.com slash meaningful to purchase. And don't forget the two L's. Now let's get back to our conversation. 
I want to talk about men for a minute. A lot of us struggle with spouses, men in general. They have they are so well-intended, but there's a lot of diet culture that comes out and you just have such a great outlook on that of how to talk to men about diet culture. So could you share that? Sure. You know, yeah. So if you're a woman in a hetero relationship, you know, I think it's likely that you've been doing a lot more reading and learning about diet culture than your, your male partner or co-parent has. Um, and so again, approaching them with a lot of empathy. Um, what's interesting is men in general have had a lot more of the health and wellness and performance angle of, of nutrition kind of aimed at them, right? So they're not necessarily hearing like, get your beach body. They're hearing optimize your performance uh, by eating a certain way. So they've been really bombarded with the health and, and wellness piece of all of this. So just knowing that they're coming in thinking, I, we want our kids to be healthy. So you have that in common, right? So starting with that common ground, we want our kids to be healthy, you know, as healthy as they can be, knowing that health is largely out of our control, right? So diet culture loves to make us think that what we eat and how we move our bodies is going to determine all of our health outcomes. And we know it's actually a very small percentage, right? So with the husbands or the male co-parent or, or partner, I think just getting on the same page about what your ultimate goals are. And then kind of unpacking where they're coming from, you know, is it that they had someone with a disease that they associate with nutrition, figure out, is it, is it a fear, you know, coming from that? Were they told they had to clean their plate because children are starving in X country and that's disrespectful to the cooked, you know, so kind of really getting at what is behind their, their food beliefs. And then, you know, encouraging them to learn a little bit more about, you know, about diet culture and explain, you know, in, in sharing your own personal story, I think is often the most powerful. So certainly if, if he's a guy who wants podcasts and things like that, you can send him, you know, that kind of information. But I think just sharing, you know, your personal journey, here's what I'm working on. Here's how this kind of food talk affected me. I think that's really powerful for the, you know, the special partners in our lives. And I think that actually tends to go a lot farther than let's say like reading a research article or something like that. But certainly the personal can be the way into wanting more information. And I think, you know, it's okay for parents to have different approaches with kids as long as those core values are the same. So again, dad might, you know, do things a little bit differently. We don't have to always be in you know, perfect lockstep. Our kids are pretty clever about knowing like, oh, mom is this way, dad is this way. Totally. They are so and I love, yeah, so intuitive. And that compassion approach, this, everything we're talking about goes into parenting in general, right? If you're talking about diet culture, body image, but really anything in parenting. And I think sometimes we want so badly for our kids to turn out better than we did that we come into these conversations a little too hot, you know, and heavy in them that if we kind of step back and say they're coming from a loving place and how can we approach this so that we can actually connect over this and really do what's best for our child. So love that answer. Yeah, and I think just always coming back to the idea that being anti-diet, you know, anti-diet culture is not anti-health, right? That it's not either or, right? That these two things actually go hand in hand when you zoom out a little bit. So you know, you're, you're actually playing more on the same page than it seems at first and just making space for, for questions and being vulnerable. I think, you know, dads may not always realize the pressures that moms are under in terms of kind of, if a kid has an issue with food or body image, who does everyone look to for the answers, right? The mom. So that's again, where I think we can 
ask for help and say, this is something, you know, I'm really passionate about. And I feel a lot of pressure around, like, let's talk about this. So good. What if you do, you know, talk to a friend or family member, grandparents, whoever it may be, and and have that conversation we talked about, like, I'm working on this. Can we address things in X, Y, and Z? And however, whatever we're working on. But what if we're met with anger or or it's very dismissive. Has that ever happened to you? And what would you do? Yeah, people can be very defensive, right? Our, the grandparents may feel like, you know, that we're blaming them, right? Mm-hmm. That no one wants to feel like they're doing it wrong. So I think that is really where coming in with the compassion and the kind of like the old go-to, the I statements, right? Like that it's about you. It's, it's not about them. Will help right. to lower the temperature. You know. If there is a lot of anger or resistance, you know, sometimes I, you know, you can use, it's not really avoidance. It's just sort of like, let's delay this conversation till we're not so hot in our like emotions, right? So you might say, yeah, food is like a really hot topic in our family, isn't it? Let's talk about this, you know, at another time, maybe when we're just feeling a little calmer, you know, if something has just happened and you're, the grandparent feels like they've been kind of reprimanded, Right it makes sense that they're going to be very defensive. So we want to try to approach it, kind of prevent that kind of defensiveness. And if it happens, you know, I think it's, it's okay. Sometimes we have to be kind of comfortable with the uncomfortable when we have these conversations and, and they may have a lot of questions. Um, you know, one thing I think we can lean into with the grandparents is the generational differences of, you know, the way we grew up. I mean, obviously we grew up in diet culture too, but things have changed so much in the last couple of decades in terms of, you know, the so-called fears around the, the so-called childhood obesity epidemic, um, all the health and wellness messaging, even around COVID, there was a lot of misinformation about, you know, that your body size was going to determine whether you got sick with COVID and things like that. And then reminding parents that, grandparents, that is, that, you know, eating disorders have just exploded. And this is not as rare as they might think, right? The numbers are really, really shocking. And it's boys and girls. And it's all walks of life, all races, all genders, and even all body sizes, right? It's not just people in a certain body type that can struggle. And I, I think reminding parents that things have changed, you know, social media, you know, expectations on, on fitness levels, things like that have just changed a lot. So kind of reminding them, yeah, the way you did it, like was fine for me and you know, we're living, our kids are living in a different food culture than the one I grew up in. So that's why we're having to make these changes. And it's hard because I want to do it. You know, you can even, you know, if you, if it's authentic, you can praise the way your family handled food, right. Growing up um, and say, you know, I wish we could still do it that way, but the world has changed so much. And I think a lot of parents like the light bulb, of course, the world has changed so much. Um, And they really want to be part of helping you, you know, prepare our kids for the world that they're in now. Right. So now I have to just, I have to piggyback on this and just back to school is coming. And sometimes it's easier to have conversations, uh, maybe easier or harder with family members or friends. But I know that teachers, they have so much experience and just like every, all of our family members, they're well-intended. And there's just a lot of, you know, cleaning your, your, sending your kid and you're working to make food neutral and then they go to school and it's like, once your meal is done, then you can go do X, Y, or Z. Any quick tips, easy tips of how to approach school and teachers? Yeah. So glad you're asking this. Oh, <laughs> this, is such a com- this, it, this is such a common problem and I'm foreseeing it getting a lot harder because 
There is so much fear about pandemic weight gain. There are a lot of state, um, you know, the state curriculum sometimes is dictated by, not by people like us who are thinking about, you know, a broader definition of health and about eating disorder prevention. They're looking at a very narrow set of goals for, for nutrition lessons and things like that. So know that a lot of times it's not even the teacher's choice to cover certain things. And teachers just don't, just don't always know, right? They're stuck in diet culture too. So one thing I would say is that we can't bubble wrap our kids, right? And as tempting as it might be, we can make our homes a safe haven. And we also want to make sure they can be resilient to diet culture messages because you know, you can run and kind of run interference and talk to every teacher every year and try to get ahead of it, like the snowplow parent thing. And it's, you're still probably not going to bat a thousand. They're still going to hear something at school that doesn't fit with your values. And those are those teachable moments, as cliche as that sounds, to talk with your child about, well, this is why some people believe this about food and bodies. Here's what we know to be true in our family. And you know, it's tempting to write the thousand word email of rage to the teacher. Um, I think we all know that that's probably not going to go very well. So you might write the email and not send it. And then ask for a, you know, a short meeting or phone call with the teacher and say, you know, my son or daughter came home with an assignment that I had questions about. Can we talk on the phone or can I meet with you after school? And just kind of gauge where they're coming from. They may have had no idea that asking kids to write down all the food they ate in a day, that that was even problematic. Or I've seen a lot of kindergarten assignments where they ask kids to circle the picture of the healthy food. And, you know, that's, um, you know, that puts up all my red flags, right, for these little five-year-olds. And so just coming in and saying, I have questions about this assignment, rather than I'm coming in, I'm right, you're wrong. Um, That defensiveness, I mean, any, I used to be a teacher, you know, if someone comes in, accusing you of, you know, giving a harmful lesson as a teacher, you're just, your defenses go right up um, versus being invited to have a conversation where you're open to hearing their perspective. Oh, that's so good. That's great. Great advice. I could ask you questions all day about this and, <laughs> and I want to, but I know we're, we're out of time almost, but I do want to ask you what your favorite meal is and then also what made you feel full this week? Oh, I love those questions. My favorite meal. Wow. You know, my family had the amazing good fortune to go on a family trip to Europe in 2019. It's like our first big family trip. And I'm just so grateful that we did it then before the pandemic hit. And we found this wonderful um, little restaurant in a little town in Ireland. And I think there's a lot of stereotypes about food in the United Kingdom and, you know, maybe it's not so great. Well, it was amazing. And we still talk about this as a family. So it's a really powerful memory of this time together, um, you know, before, before the world changed. And then, you know, what makes me feel full is helping other parents tap into their kind of intuition and wisdom about all of these issues. Because I think often we know in our gut what what really makes sense for our kids. And so when I talk to families, obviously I'm sharing, you know, my experience and my expertise in certain areas, but it's really about connecting with other parents in a way that is empowering to them. It's not, I I don't want to should anybody. I want to give people the information and let them figure out, okay, how do I make this work for my family and my, you know, you know, my, my personality, my temperament, my kid's personality, and maybe their developmental abilities so that we really can be true to ourselves. We're not trying to create cookie cutter families. Um, how boring would that be, right? 
Uh, Well, thank you so much for just kind of making me think a little bit and, and also sharing this with everyone, because I think this is, this is how we're going to do it better for our kids and, and then their kids. And so we just so appreciate you being on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. Please follow the show, rate, and don't hesitate to write a little review. We also have a voicemail box you can call to ask us any questions, tell us the topics you'd like covered, or just share where you're struggling and how you could use some extra support. Call 833-444-FULL or 833-444-3855. We want to hear from you. And tune in every Monday for a new episode of Meaningful Living. And if you're looking for more ways to live a meaningful life, follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com. And don't forget with two L's. Can't wait to see you next week.